Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. Our scripture reading for today comes from two passages in the New Testament. The first one is Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. And the next one is from 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. First of all, Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. And then from the book of First John. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Thank uh, Pastor Aaron for the invitation to come and speak to you on this uh, weekend, and uh, I always love hearing him preach. He's, he's far the better preacher in my estimation, and I'm not just being humble. I think uh, I know a good preacher when I hear one. You've got a good one. And uh, I see some people nodding back there. Uh, so, yeah, you've got a good one. Um, Thank you also, Heather, for hosting us yesterday. We had lunch with them, and that was great. Heather and I used to work together uh, in uh, the adult education at uh, First Church in Tulsa. So uh, I know her very well, too. Um, I was going to do a little bit of review of things I said yesterday, but not too much, really. For instance, I'm not going to do a review of my wonderful illustration of the Trinity. Uh, It really is a great one. I mean, it's just classic, but I'm not going to go over it now. Because um, I think sometimes people have trouble with that particular. Well, I'm going to tell you this much of it. This is this is this is this much of it because it's, it's so wonderful. I can't leave it off. Uh, I like to think of the Trinity this way, and it's just an it's just an illustration. That's all. Uh, but the Father is the singer, and the song he sings is the Son, the content, the Word, expressing God the Father's heart. But the Holy Spirit. Where does he fit into that? Well, he's the singing itself. And if you stopped one, you stop them all. If you hear one, you hear them all. If you hear the, if you hear the singer, 
you hear the song and you hear the singing. If you hear the singing, you hear the song and you hear the singer. So that's my illustration and you can thank me later. Um, <laughs> all right. No, I'm going to seriously uh, focus more on the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, uh, who the Holy Spirit is, what his, what his will is, how he acts in our lives, and how we can uh, be attuned to his movements uh, and uh, have some discernment about the Spirit. That's why I chose those particular uh, passages. In case you paid any attention at all, and I know these things have so much information on them that sometimes you just don't really look at them, I am not going to preach from Acts chapter 2. I was planning to, and I told Aaron I was going to do that, making the invisible visible. Uh, and then the closer we got to the time to come down here, I just felt like, mm, that's just not the right passage and it's not the right sermon. So I'll save that for another time. And so I'm going to just speak to you about the Holy Spirit and uh, really uh, why we need him, why we need the Holy Spirit. And we need to acknowledge him and know about him. So first of all, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, we confess the belief uh, in the Holy Spirit that uh, the church has been confessing throughout our history. Uh, I mean, even back before John Wesley, all the way back to the early church, we were confessing that we believe in the Holy Spirit. And in that creed that we were uh, saying this morning, of uh, the Apostles' Creed that goes back probably to, probably to the uh, uh, first century after uh, Jesus was here on earth, uh, at least the basics of it does, uh, and we believe in the Father, we He's the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus who was born and who, who suffered and who died and who rose and ascended and all of those details. But we get to the Holy Spirit, we just say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And then we go on and I believe in the church and that, you know, so forth. Uh, we don't say much about it because they didn't say much then. Later, they did have more to say about the Holy Spirit in the Nicene Creed, which you can find in the back of, of your hymnal if you want to look at that sometime. Uh, the Nicene Creed says more, and this comes from the early 300s. The Nicene Creed describes the Holy Spirit as the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father uh, and the Son, as we say it in the West anyway, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. question came up yesterday, should we worship the Holy Spirit? Yes. Not by himself, but with the Father and the Son. Yes, we should worship the Holy Spirit. And that the Holy Spirit is the one who spoke through the prophets. Now, each one of those, we could elaborate and say, these are each, uh, each of these is based on uh, Scripture. For example, uh, it sounds a little odd to say that the Holy Spirit is the Lord. Uh, but the, the Holy Spirit is called the Lord uh, in 2 Corinthians 3.17 because Paul there says... Uh, when we turn toward the Lord, really turn toward the Lord, we are turning toward the Holy Spirit. In other words, we're turning to the Lord in the sense that God is present with us, not up in heaven, but here present with us, and we're turning to His living presence with us, His active presence among us. We're turning to the Lord, we're turning to the Holy Spirit. To turn to the Lord is to turn to the Spirit. He says, the Lord is the Spirit. In that context, 2 Corinthians 3. And the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us life. How important is that? John said, uh, Jesus said this in the Gospel of John. John 6, 63. Jesus says, 
the Spirit is the one who gives life. And again, in Paul's writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. If all you have is just the words of the Bible, and you're just living by the words, but you don't have life, it's because the Holy Spirit isn't being given freedom in your life. But if you have a really living, active relationship with the Lord, it's because the Holy Spirit is giving you life. That's where the life comes from. And, of course, the words that were spoken over you when you were baptized, whether you remember that baptism or not, you probably witnessed somebody else being baptized, and you remember those words that are used in the baptism, baptismal formula, baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we don't leave one of those terms out because that's our connection with God, with all three of those. Now, one of the things that... Um, could be said based on what the New Testament says about the Holy Spirit that doesn't appear in either of those two creeds that maybe because they just assumed it but we need to make sure we understand this the Holy Spirit is not an it the Holy Spirit is not an it there are other it's there are other energies and other dynamics other spirits that may be called it's like having school spirit you know, that we all muster up uh, or find ourselves overflowing with on a football Saturday. Uh, we have school spirit. That's an it. Uh, but the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person, very personal. Because Jesus said, uh, you may criticize me and blaspheme my name, but don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit, the one who does the works through me. Because he says that's, that's a very dangerous thing to do. More, more dangerous than speaking against the Son is to speak against the Holy Spirit. And you might remember this kind of scary story over in the book of Acts, chapter 5. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? Uh, Peter said to Ananias, Ananias, you lied to the Holy Spirit. That would right there indicate that the Holy Spirit is a personal existence, not an it you can't lie to an it, lie to a person. He told Ananias, you lied to the Holy Spirit, and thus he had lied to God. And Paul warns us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. It's interesting, this is in Ephesians 4. Uh, if I had time, I'd go into this because I think this is really important. Paul says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by the way we mistreat one another or the way we speak ill of one another. Speak harmful words toward one another. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by the way you interact with other Christians. Holy Spirit's grieved by that. For the Holy Spirit to be able to grieve means he is personal. Jesus also talked about the Holy Spirit would come and be another advocate. You remember that in John chapter 14 through 16? He said that several times uh, that Jesus was going to go away. What he has been to the disciples, he will not be there personally to do. But he says, don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit, another advocate, another paraclete, you might have heard that word, another comforter will be with you and he'll always be with you. And he'll make everything about me clear to you. He'll teach you. He'll, he'll bring to your remembrance everything that I've said to you. The Holy Spirit is spoken of by Jesus as a very personal 
personal uh, presence. So when Jesus said the Holy Spirit's going to come, he was promising a person. And when God, back in the, in the Old Testament, in the book of Joel, said he was going to send the Holy Spirit, he was talking about a person. And Jesus, toward, right before he ascended to heaven, he said to the disciples in Luke 24 and in Acts chapter 1, go back to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. So this promise that Jesus made, this promise that the Father made, this promise is a person. So the Holy Spirit in us is the fulfillment of God the Father's promise and the fulfillment of Jesus' promise. But that goes another step. The Holy Spirit, who has become for us a fulfillment of past promises, the Holy Spirit is a promise himself. The Holy Spirit is spoken of in the New Testament. Uh, I'll just mention uh, a couple of these. Uh, one's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, but also it's in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14. The Holy Spirit is spoken of as a pledge or a guarantee or a down payment. If you've ever bought a house or a piece of property, you probably had to put some kind of money down, didn't you? And you were do, by doing that, you were promising you were going to be good for the rest of it. You're going to come up with the rest of it. Well, that's the very term that Paul uses. It's a, a very much a com- commercial kind of term. That the Holy Spirit who's been given to us is God's way of promising, I'm going to finish what I've started. What has he started? He has started renewing us. He has started giving us new life. We experience that new life within. We experience that new life, well, not yet in our bodies. That's the problem, isn't it? I've become more and more aware of that. Uh, I like to tell people this just because, you know, just to astonish people. Uh, I'm just a hair under five foot, well, not a hair. Um, I'm, I'm just, shouldn't use that metaphor. Uh, I'm, I'm just a little bit under five foot nine, or at least I used to be. And I could take a volleyball in my hand and dunk it on the basketball goal. And I'm white. All right? (laughs) I couldn't do that now. And the reason is because I can't jump that high anymore and I can't stand the landing. And if you're old enough to know what I mean, you know, when you hit, it just shatters everything. So, but I used to be able to do that. My body can't do what it used to do. That's my point. My body can't do what I used to do because this body is aging, this body is vulnerable. And, you know, I don't have to pick on you. Every one of us in this room has a body that's going to be vulnerable until we get a new body. God says you're going to get it. And the guarantee that you're going to get it is that he's already given you the Holy Spirit. God personally present in your life is God's promise. He's going to finish the work of redeeming us. We said that in the creed too. I believe in the resurrection of the body. Praise God. So... The Holy Spirit is God's promise to us, a living presence in us. We need this Holy Spirit. Uh, Now, the other text that I read to you at the beginning is 1 John 4. This is a passage that helps us a lot in recognizing that some things, really we just have to say that is not from God. That is not the Holy Spirit. And that's what John was dealing with. I think this has application in a wide variety of situations. 1 John 4, 
John wrote, don't believe every spirit because there are many spirits, there are many prophets out there in the world. Well, that was in his day. We have many people now competing for our attention, competing for our beliefs, competing for our allegiance. And uh, that happens in so many different ways. And he says, don't believe every one of them. Test them. If we ask how would we test them, he says, see whether that spirit agrees or disagrees with the truth about Jesus. Every spirit that comes from God agrees with the truth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come and been a human being among us. That God has really and truly been among us. And what Jesus did is God doing in the world. What Jesus said, that's God's authority behind everything that Jesus said. So Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. The Holy Spirit will agree with that. A spirit that undermines that or even distracts from that to try to get us another direction is a spirit that shouldn't be trusted because it's not the Holy Spirit. Paul makes a similar statement in a more concise way uh, in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, no one can confess Jesus except by the Holy Spirit. So if you have made that confession and you really meant it, Jesus Christ is Lord, that was the Holy Spirit helping you. I said this yesterday, if you can say Jesus is Lord and you have a relationship with Jesus as Lord, you may not know much about the Holy Spirit, but you have a working relationship with the Holy Spirit because he helped you make that confession. You couldn't have made that confession without the Holy Spirit. But Paul adds to that, that no one can speak by the Holy Spirit and say, Jesus be cursed. And there must have been somebody teaching some kind of odd thing for Paul even to have to mention this. I can't imagine somebody standing up in a church, church, and saying, Jesus is cursed. I, you know, that would, just wouldn't happen in a church, I don't think. But Paul says, nobody can say that motivated by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will not lead you to curse Jesus. He will lead you to confess Jesus as the Lord. So, what kind of application could we have for this in our present day? You know, if you believe the Bible and you believe what the church says, and we've confessed already, and as we said, our, our uh, affirmation of faith today, if you believe those things, you're not very likely to deny the deity of Jesus, which John was warning against, or to curse him, as Paul was warning against. But let me just remind you of some history that's not all that far back. It, believe it or not, was before I was born, <laughs> all right? Uh, before I was born, there were thousands, maybe tens of thousands of Christians who really did believe in Jesus living in Germany who fell under the thrall of Adolf Hitler and the Nazis. And they had various reasons for thinking this is the way forward for our nation. But they got, the ones who really got caught up in that and they, and they began to think like Hitler and the Nazis thought that people who weren't Aryans, who were of another race, that they were somehow inferior. And especially if they were Jews, they deserved to be eradicated. It's hard for us to think about that there were Christians who participated in that. People who confessed Jesus is Christ, but they didn't live that out in the way they treated other people. 
But in this present time, in the 20th century, the part that I lived in, in Georgia growing up in the 50s, up until now, there are still people who are in church today who think that some people shouldn't be in church with them. Okay, growing up in the South, in Georgia, I never ever attended a worship service with people who weren't white. We just didn't have it. We just didn't have it. And, you know, black people had their church, white people had their church. And we didn't think that was hateful. That's just the way it was, and we thought it should stay that way. Later, I came to understand that is not right. That is not right. You know, it wasn't like an instantaneous transformation. I don't want to claim that because, but that's the, that's the, that's the, that's the way I grew up. I absorbed that. I was infected with that notion that there should be this kind of separation. And I, I kind of had to learn, unlearn a lot of what I had learned. And I learned a lot of that just, you know, as I was just a child, we had that what sociologists call a primary socialization. What you learn when you're too young to even know what you're learning. You're just, you're just drinking it in. It's becoming part of you. To unlearn stuff is sometimes very, very hard. I'm not saying people who taught me that way were not Christian. Please understand me on this. This is a very important point. They were Christian. They really did love Jesus. They did. But they were infected with a racist attitude that needed to be purged because it was not of God. Just because you're a Christian, just because you go to church, just because you read your Bible, doesn't mean that you are necessarily immune from being infected with something that's very deadly and very dangerous. Especially with ungodly attitudes that are pervasive in the culture and are being supported and promoted by people we trust. We have to be careful about that. We need to measure things, especially things that begin to take on a certain energy and they, they sort of have a life of their own. I, you know, I know preachers are not supposed to get involved in politics, and I don't mean this to be political at all. I just want to make some observations here, which I think you'll agree with. June and I lived in Ireland from 2006 until 2010. And we came back in 2010, moved back, and I noticed something. I just noticed something. This country is angry. This country is angry. Now, we probably had issues with anger before that, but I just sense that we're just all angry people. That was in 2010. Anybody want to suggest maybe that we might be getting over that yet? Yeah, I didn't think so. We're, we're, we're people that have a lot of issues as a society, as a culture, with anger. Uh, on one hand, there's people who are angry, and on another hand, there's people who are afraid. Uh, there are people who are proud. There are people who are resentful. You know, there may be reasons that an individual has for any one of those things. But here's, here's where it really becomes a spiritual issue. When we have some kind of anger or fear or pride or resentment, and no one can even talk to us about it unless they're agreeing with us. And we can't listen to them unless they agree with us. And so the only people we'll talk to and listen to are the people who already agree with us. And that makes us all the more angry at people 
who don't listen to us because they're not part of our group. I would suggest to you that there are spirits at work stirring the pot to keep us angry at one another, to keep us afraid of one another, even within the church, to keep us fearful and wary of people who don't look like us, who don't talk like us, who don't vote like us, whatever the division might be. This, this vicious, uh, heartfelt disdain and dislike and even hatred, I hate to use that word, hatred towards somebody who is on the other side of things. I think it's a spiritual issue, and we need to ask, is that the Spirit of God who's leading us to think that way and feel that way? If the, if the Spirit that's motivating me is causing me to feel like somebody else is not fit for my company, that's not the Spirit of God. You know, Jesus was able to sit down and have a meal with people who the Pharisees thought were just unfit. Remember that? Jesus, because he said, these people need a physician. They're sick and they need a physician. Well, let me take an an example of something maybe that's a little less dangerous. Anything that even gets close to that third rail of of politics. And I wasn't trying to be political at all. I was just trying to say that our discourse, our public discourse has become so angry at one another. I think that's a spirit that's not of God. But let me talk about something that may be, may, maybe not, uh, less provocative than that. I'll go out on a limb here and suggest that our culture has for decades, maybe even before I was born, I don't know, but for decades it's been under the strong influence of a spirit of individual self-actualization. That what really counts, what really motivates me is I got to be me and I got to be me to the nth. And if that costs you, if that means I have to break my promises to you, I'm going to be true to me. That's the spirit that I think Christ would say is not the spirit of Christ. It's the spirit that goes against Christ. But I'm going to talk about this just a little bit. The spirit of individual self-gratification. It's not limited to sexual expression. But it's evident there's a growing list of sexual indulgences tolerated and celebrated. While the suggestion that some things should not be tolerated is not tolerated. But I just thank God he was not willing to tolerate one thing. He was not willing to tolerate our brokenness and our lostness. God so loved us that he sent his son to die for us to free us from sins, deceptive slavery and to heal our brokenness. Any spirit... This is why I'm talking about this. Any spirit that denies the power of Almighty God to make our lives whole and holy cannot be trusted. Any spirit that denies the power of Almighty God to make our lives whole and holy cannot be trusted. I'm not talking about enforcing our rules on somebody. I'm talking about holding out hope for anybody no matter how broken they are, including me, in my brokenness, that God can make me whole in his time, in his way, but he will make me whole and he will make me 
holy. That's God's will for us. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do for every one of us. See, the only safeguard against the deceptive, persuasive spirit of the age, no matter what spirit, what age you're living in, what I'm talking about now, the spirit of the age is persuasive. But the only safeguard against that is Jesus Christ himself and the Holy Spirit who testifies that Jesus is Lord. If we let culture tell us what is right and wrong, we will be misled. The spirit of the age will lead us to abandon God's will for our wholeness, our holiness. Or if we like the rules, the way we practice them, we may be okay with being taught old-fashioned. We may have a religious spirit that likes to speak the truth, but we leave out the love. I would remind you that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Not just full of grace and not just full of truth. This is John 1.14. Jesus was full of grace and truth. When Jesus spoke the truth, he spoke it in love. The Holy Spirit will never lead us to violate the holy love demonstrated by the Son of God. He always, always loves us just like we are. I'll say it again. He always loves us just like we are. But he never leaves us just like we are. I don't care how good you were when you first came to Christ. Something about you needed fixing. And probably you still have things that need to be fixed. I do. God never leaves us as we are. Because he loves us. Even though we're just like we are. He loves us. He loves us. He loves us. But he also wants to love us into wholeness and fullness of life in Jesus. What else does the Holy Spirit do? I'd say this. The most important and most lasting thing that the Holy Spirit does is he connects us with God. The Holy Spirit connects us with God. Separation from God is what kills us. But the Spirit connects us to God and gives us new life. Jesus said this in John 3. You know that passage so well. You know John 3:16, I'm sure. But Jesus, before he got to John 3.16, Jesus said to Nicodemus, you need to be born again. You need to be born of the Spirit. You need, a, you need a life that you didn't get from your parents. You need a life that you can only get from God. You need to be born again. And that's right there in the Bible. The Spirit is the one who gives you life. Flesh gives birth to flesh. The Spirit gives birth to spirit. You cannot, here's another way to put it, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God from your earthly parents, no matter how good they are or were. You can only inherit the kingdom of God from your heavenly Father. For that, you need to be born again, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a good day to, uh, to remind ourselves that that uh, on World Communion Sunday, that we are connected to the Father, we're connected to the Son by the Holy Spirit, and we're also connected to every other member of the body of Christ. Ephesians 
4 says it this way. There's one body, meaning the church. There's one spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope, who in you were called? One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. One. You and I are headed to the Father's house with people that we don't even like. And they don't even like us for whatever reason. But if they are following Jesus and we're following Jesus, we're headed to the same place. And and God may even cause us to have to walk along beside them. And that's where it really gets to be sort of irritating. I think I said this last night, didn't I? I forget sometimes where I say things after a few talks. Putting up with Christians is part of bearing the cross. Yeah. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. And if you follow Jesus, you're going to be walking along with people who follow Jesus and Some of those are people you like, and some of them are people you don't get along with. But if you know you're going to the same place, you know, you can sort of forgive one another. You have to. You have to. And realize you're going to the same place because you belong to the same Father. The Holy Spirit is the one who connects us. The Spirit connects us to Jesus. That's the most important connection we could possibly talk about. And we shouldn't let any other connection Break that connection with Jesus because that's life. That's life for us. Now your pastor is going to uh, lead you through yet more uh, topics on, this, on the Holy Spirit in uh, Sundays ahead. He's going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit and so forth. So I won't talk about those things today. But just study the New Testament. See some of the things that the New, Te- that the New Testament says the Holy Spirit does. He indwells us. He indwells me He indwells you individually. He also indwells us corporately as the body of Christ. That makes us the temple of God. Every one of us individually, but also corporately, we're the temple of God. And we don't want to be disrespectful of the temple of God. That would include how we treat other people, but also how we treat ourselves. The Holy Spirit indwells us. The Holy Spirit teaches us from scripture but also he reminds us of Jesus example the Holy Spirit empowers us that's about the about the gifts and so forth and that I'll leave that for for uh, Aaron to talk about at some later point the Holy Spirit helps us pray we did some of that yesterday last evening especially Uh, but I want to say just a little bit more about that the Holy Spirit helps us to pray when we don't know how to pray do you know that passage in Romans Romans 8 is one of the great chapters. It's worthy of a lot of meditation. The Holy Spirit helps us to pray when we don't know how to pray. Maybe you've been there. If you haven't been there, you probably will be. Where you just don't know where to start. And Paul writes that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. That's Romans 8, 26. So even before we start praying, the Holy Spirit is already praying for us according to the will of God. He prays perfectly because the Holy Spirit knows what is the will of the Father. He knows. And he prays that. Sometimes we don't know what God's will is. But the Holy Spirit does. He's praying for us according to the will of God. 
So just to wrap this up, what does the Holy Spirit want to do? We know from, from the Bible things that he does already. What does the Holy Spirit want to do? This is where I would encourage everybody to ask him. Just ask him, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do? The beginning of the day, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do in my life today? Or as you study the Bible, Holy Spirit, what do you want to teach me out of this passage? Or when you come to church, oh, this is a good one. Holy Spirit, how can, how can you use me at church today? Maybe it's just giving somebody a smile. And, you know, if you're wearing a mask, you have to pull it down and smile, you know. But just to smile and encourage you know, just being there, just being there, present there is an encouragement to others. The Holy Spirit can speak to us. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? He's asking us, and we can, we can ask him, Lord, what do you want to do in us? And I think if we take the time to listen, sometimes we'll actually get a hint. But we won't know. You can't make God speak. You can't coerce him. But you can make yourself available to what he might say if you listen. If you don't take the time to listen, he may be speaking and you miss it. You got to listen so as not to miss it. Just some other things here, just in a sort of a list. What are things the Holy Spirit wants to do? He wants you to know forgiveness of sins. He really wants you to know that. Not hope you'll be forgiven, to know you're forgiven. He wants the will of the Father to be done in you. The Holy Spirit, along with the Father and the Son, they want you to live forever. You know John 3, 16? Would not perish, should not perish, shall not perish. God doesn't want us to perish, but to live forever. The Holy Spirit wants to talk about Jesus. He wants to glorify Jesus. He wants Jesus' life to shine in you and in me. He wants you to follow Jesus. He wants us to show compassion Jesus' compassion toward other people. He wants us to know the joy of obeying the Father like Jesus knew it. He wants us to have a passion for the truth like Jesus had it. He wants us to have a passion for treating people right the way Jesus did. He wants us to know Jesus and to show others the way to that life that we have. He wants us to know the joy of being workers together with God by submitting our lives to God. One way to do that is by offering ourselves up to the Holy Spirit and offering up the church to the Holy Spirit. Let's do that right now in this prayer. Gracious Father, precious Jesus, wonderful Holy Spirit, we offer ourselves to you. We want to receive what you offer us but we know we can never receive even half of it until we offer ourselves to you. What you have to offer us is so much more than we can imagine. But we need to offer ourselves to you in full surrender right now in our hearts. Before we receive communion, we offer ourselves to you to, again, know your forgiveness, to know the healing that you offer and to know the strong covenant you've made with us through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.